Well, tonight we're beginning a four-part journey, really, and it's right that we start with the whole subject of inner healing. I'm absolutely convinced that some of the blessings of God, the things that God wants to do in our life, are sometimes hindered by our own brokenness. If you have a, or have had a difficult life, or had, everybody's had a difficult life, I think, to be honest, then sometimes you want to be free, and you want to rejoice, and you want to have the fullness of God, but you don't always have what I would consider the equipment or the capacities to be able to enter into some of that fullness. And there's only so much name it, claim it, blab it, grab it that you can do without recognizing that sometimes something needs to shift or change. You know, we can say all the right things, have all the right theology, and not live the right reality. If the sun sets you free, that's more than an ideology. That's a promise from God. God desires to set captives free. And if you don't believe you're captive, let me just be clear with you. There's only two types of people in this world. Those who are in recovery and those who are in denial. And you get to choose which side of the fence you're going to sit on tonight. But I've never met a human being that didn't need God to touch them in some way. I've never met an individual whose life experience hadn't damaged them in some way. And of course, we all want to think that if we try harder and work harder at this, we'll be free. But actually, the way the Holy Spirit brings freedom is often quite different than we anticipate it is. Good effort and great works doesn't always do what God wants it to do. We need his supernatural power. We need to experience the compassion and mercy of God. Amen. We need to know him as father and to be loved by him is to cause life to happen to stir in our souls. So tonight our subject matter is restoration and reclamation. I'll tell you a little story about, I think probably nine years ago, I bought a derelict house. It was a foolish idea. In fact, it almost broke our marriage apart. <clears throat> Every morning my wife would wake up and find all kinds of people walking through the bedroom carrying pipes and wood and various things and our neighbors over here were with us every single step of the way trying to restore this house as quickly as possible. But there was something about this house that was important to me and that was it was grade two listed. Now if you know anything about the listings, people are really particular with these things because they're historical houses and they want to be sure that these things are kept in their truest form. But we entered into this project, it lasted about 15, maybe 18 months. It felt like hell on earth some days. No water, no electricity. We had green mold up the walls of the living room and that was the best room in the house. And there were times and seasons where we looked at each other because we'd moved out of somewhere that we'd already renovated and thought, what on earth did we do this for? But actually, when we look at it now, we realize it was all worthwhile. But there were two things that we discovered. Some things needed reclaiming. We found some things that were hidden. Some windows, some doorways over periods of time and seasons of fashion and all the things that people went through because this is a 16th century house. You can imagine it's gone through many reinventions. We found things that actually were covered over, things that needed to be reclaimed. We found parquet flooring. Does anybody know what that is? That's that wooden fancy flooring that you see in posh houses. Has anybody got a posh house with parquet flooring? But you've been to places where they have it, don't you? And, and it was so beautiful. It was covered by this horrible patterned carpet. I mean, if you had any kind of sense of vertigo or anything, you would have lost your mind just looking into it. It's one of those psychedelic 70s experiences. But actually, as soon as we lifted it up, we were just, just delighted. We found doorways. We found a secret staircase. We found things that we didn't even know existed when we went to view the house. And we set on this adventure of reclaiming some of its truest identity, 
bringing the house back to its former glory. Well, that was one part of it, but then there were lots of parts that actually needed restoration. They'd already were visible to us. They just needed decoration. Some of them needed plastering. Some of the things needed to happen. New ceilings, new ceiling roses. Oh, I could tell you forever the amount of time and money we spent on trying to bring this house back to its former glory. But when I think about that, I think that God in his infinite wisdom does those two things in the human soul. There are things that somehow have got lost in your life that God wants to reclaim. He's going searching for them. Now, you may not even remember them. You may not even have a recollection of them. I remember one time, whenever I went through a really difficult patch in my life, just trying to move forward, God reminded me of a sexual abuse situation that took place when I was around six years of age. I had completely blotted it out, but God reclaimed my innocence. He reclaimed my purity. He went searching for things that were hidden in my life, and he brought them back to their original design. God is in the reclamation business. Anybody grateful for that? And you know, there is nothing, nothing in your life that he doesn't know where it's hidden. God knows where those things got lost. He knows those things that were part of your original design that somehow have got trampled on or even covered over by all kinds of things. And the second thing that the Holy Spirit will do is he will restore. There are many things that the Holy Spirit restores. They're probably visible in your life and you recognize them and they probably come out of your personality and the way that you've lived and you've worked through these things for many, many years. But actually, over time, they have got slightly distorted and maybe discolored by all kinds of things, events and situations and relationships that haven't worked out or disappointments that you're still trying to work through. God is in the business of restoration and reclamation. And tonight we're going to talk about that. How can we allow God the power of his word and the fullness of his spirit to bring us back to all that we were intended to be. And that's my heart's desire for this meeting tonight. Let me start by saying that God is a healer. He loves to bring us back into full relationship with him. In fact, much of what's happened to us, much of the damage it's done, much of the, the distortion that's come is because we have been separated from him. And one of the greatest restorative processes for our relationship to be reformed and reunited with God. Aren't you grateful for Christ? Jesus made a way for you where you could not have made a way for yourself. And through his blood and through his covenant with us, we have our sins forgiven and we have our lives restored to Father God. And that restoration process is the beginning of all transforming power in our lives. God is at work in the middle of us as a result of that truth. And his love always is the key thing that draws us to greater senses of vulnerability and accessibility to the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament comes from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. And this is what he says. And it's a pattern I think we need to develop in our lives. Casting all our cares upon him. Why? Because God cares for you. You don't have to carry your troubles anymore. You don't have to carry the weight of your life experience anymore. You don't have to carry the burden of broken or difficult seasons or times or situations in your life. Jesus has come to carry them for you. You can cast your cares upon the Father and you can guarantee that his heart for you will always cause whatever it is you give to him to be transformed and renewed. God is amazing at taking care of us. 
There's another scripture that's important too as we set out on this adventure because this is not automatic. We can't sing the songs and not have the reality. We can't just be in an environment like this. We need God to touch us. We need a physical touch from Jesus to be free from certain things. Amen? And there's a wonderful story in John chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus comes to the man who is, who is sitting at the pool. He's been so rehearsed in his brokenness, so assigned to his lack of ability. And he looks at other people whose lives are seemingly getting an opportunity to be transformed. And he can't get into the waters because he has a paralytic problem. And Jesus, it says, when he saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Is there anyone here tonight who's been in a condition for a long time? He asked him, do you want to be well? So we know that the Father wants to bring healing, restoration, reclamation, whatever words we want to use, they're all part of the same restorative process. But the question here tonight as we start our adventure is, do you want to be well? Now let me explain what I'm asking that question, because it's not going to happen like that. You have practiced and rehearsed all kinds of things as a result of your brokenness. And of course we will pray tonight, and we will break some things off your life, but actually you need to work with God to be well. You need to walk with him in humility and curiosity as he leads you more and more into the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. I've long since stopped believing there was some kind of heavenly magic wand that we could just wave over our lives. God is not Tinkerbell, but he is with us and he is for us. He knows everything about us and he will partner with us to bring us into healing and to bring us into wholeness. Can somebody say amen to that? So one of my primary gifts, if indeed I have any, is to be a pastor. I found when I first became a Christian, I didn't like people very much. <laughs> Can anybody identify with that? And there was a reason for that, because um, during the course of my life, a lot of people didn't like me. You know, I wasn't um, the in crowd. I wasn't the, the, the greatest athlete. I wasn't anything that anybody particularly thought was good. But every Saturday night, I would go out and sing with my mom and dad. I've been singing since I was four years of age. And people in those environments seemed to appreciate me. And, you know, when you have no acceptance somewhere, you try and find it anywhere, don't you? And I decided that I would spend my life being a singer. And um, that is indeed what I did before I became a Christian. But, <clears throat> do you know, because of all of those things, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I had a lot of barriers. I didn't trust people. I still struggle with that a little bit. Is there anybody like me? You know, I used to think that everybody was against me. Now I think only some people are against me. So things have improved. That's a good, that's a good standard. You know, I used to think everybody was after me, but now I'm just slightly paranoid. I think only a few are after me. So God has done some work in my heart and some work in my life and I'm a changed person. And more importantly than being changed, I am consistently invited to change by God. God changes us from one degree of glory to the next. I'm freer than I've ever been. Freer than I've ever been. In fact, people's opinions now don't matter like they used to. They used to crush me. If somebody didn't like the way I did things or said things, I would be crushed because I was so full of rejection so full of abandonment, it was just one more straw, one more moment to break me down into nothing and I would crumble. But actually, I find myself, as I've grown older and older, caring less what people think about me. Now, maybe that's just old age or it could be the healing power of the Holy Spirit. 
When my daughter was little, she used to do a tantrum in the supermarket. I'm planning as I get older to do exactly the same for her. I think she has sown and now she needs to reap. And there is something about getting older where you start to realize that you've given so much power away to other people. Other people's opinions of you have often shaped the decisions you've made. And if you have any sense of insecurity or brokenness or rejection, there are some key people in your life who still have a voice in your ear that are asking you if you're doing the right or the wrong thing. And you may be an adult and be very accomplished in other parts of your life, but the truth is all of us have grown up sometimes in a world that has not necessarily fully understood us or embraced us or indeed celebrated us. And so I believe we all have a need for God to restore us. Amen? We need God to do something in us and we need to work with him to that end. Now there are four key areas that I believe we experience things in that need to be mentioned for us tonight as we seek to move towards a greater sense of freedom. Four key sources, if you like, to some of the problems that we are facing and have faced here on this planet. Now let me give you to them as, as quickly as I can. The first one is generational sin. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you come from a family. Has anybody figured that out? It's a remarkable truth, isn't it? And as hard as you try to separate yourself from those people, and God knows I've tried a few times, okay, it's kind of like this. They're in you, and you're in them. One of the most horrifying moments I had in the last 10 years is I looked in the mirror and I saw my father I thought, how did you get here? I've been trying to avoid you for the last 15 years. I have turned into him. And sometimes when I'm talking to Emily or telling her off, you decide which, I hear the voice of my mother coming out of my mouth. My mother had the most profound way of saying things that would leave you without any doubt what she really meant. In fact, my mother was so fearless and fearful was I of her that she didn't even need to speak at times. She would just give me the look. I've noticed over the years that Jane has perfected the same look and sometimes words are not even necessary for me to change my behavior. But we are part of a family and when I first became a Christian I used to skip past what they called the begats at the beginning of the, the Gospels which give you the lineage and then the descendancy of people right up to Jesus but they're there for a reason. They're there for this reason, that whenever we turn up in this world, we are connected to those in our family who have gone before us. We are flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. And whatever it is that they got into, actually maybe in part, is still working itself out in us. There are things that our ancestors did that we are paying the price for. There are things that our parents, our moms and our dads did that we are still paying the price for. There are general, generational things that are passed on into our lives. Now you are born into that context and because you were born into it, you don't necessarily believe that it's odd or it's strange. Let me give you an example from my own life. In my family, okay, we were traveling people. We didn't trust anybody outside the family. Okay, it was a given that anybody who wasn't in the family was, un, was untrustworthy. And so I grew up in this environment where my mother had no trust for anybody who wasn't in her family. The sad thing is she grew older, she had no trust for anybody who was in her family. 
So guess what happens when you're raised in a family like that? You start to think like that. You start to act like that. You start to respond to the world around you with those kind of persuasions and orientations. You're not sitting down at four, working it all out, trying to figure out what is or isn't true. The culture around you has been set. And your context suggests that certain things are good and certain things aren't good. Now the same is true if your family are open to supernatural or paranormal activity. In my family, my family would go to Mass on a Sunday and do tarot cards on a Monday. Not realizing that these two things might be slightly opposed. Okay? And, and my mother would, she would read tea leaves and she would, she would talk about things and she would know things and she would tell you what's going to happen. And of course I grew up in that. That wasn't abnormal to me. I thought everybody was supernatural. I thought everybody had those capacities. And, and what is normal to us actually can be so abnormal in comparison to the truth of God's word. Now, if you've been brought up in a house where there's an alcohol issue, as you start to think back over the family line, you'll probably recognize there is some form of addictive personality type that runs through a family. And that, particularly, that particular problem creates two polar realities. Some people vow never to go anywhere near alcohol because they're frightened of its consequences and others find themselves, in spite of their best efforts, caught up in the same addictions that their forefathers have. We are not detached from those who have come before us. There is something that's happening generationally that is indeed important for us to understand. Does anybody believe a word I'm saying? And that's vital because without understanding that and recognizing that Jesus came to break all of those things that have happened before us because God sets people free, we will labor and try and endeavor to be different people but not have a power or a capacity to do so. Now, of course, Jesus has paid for our freedom. His blood is sufficient. He became a curse to destroy every curse, but it doesn't mean that I have access to the power of that destruction. I need to work with the Spirit of God to download, if you like, or to absorb or to receive the fullness of what Jesus has indeed accomplished for me. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. The second thing that I think holds people back, and I'm trying to be as quick as I can, is ungodly belief systems. Do you know it's a shock to some of us tonight, but it's true that you have some thoughts that are less than glorious. There are things that you keep on believing will change, but actually your mind has been set. You have a set of belief systems that you believe are accurate and true. They're usually fashioned by difficulties and life and experience, but you are so convinced that they're right. Even if I tell you something from the Bible that sounds like it's counterintuitive to you, you will find that you will resist it because your inner truth will be far more powerful than your external truth, which is the word of God. Okay, so there are many of those. How many of us believe that God loves people unconditionally? How many of us, therefore, live with unconditional love? Hello? How many of us are abiding in the unconditional love of God? Because the truth is we have a theology. We know that God loves unconditionally, but our internal truth is I must do something. I have to perform in some way. I have to add to what Jesus has done. And I think any time you get into that thinking where it's Jesus plus something, okay, you're in a place where there's going to be problems. How many of us know that we're not, um, God doesn't bless us anymore if we do more? Who, who believes that's true? God loves you just the way you are. Have you heard that? He couldn't love you anymore. He loves you the way you are. Then why do you live like that's not true? 
Why do you think that you have to do a whole set of things to be able to be pleasing to God? I tell you because your internal truth is in direct contradiction to the truth, which is the Word of God. So we have all kinds of internal narratives that are working themselves out in us. And because it's so normal to us or natural to us, we don't even stop to think about it. When Jane and I went through some ministry up in Glasgow, we wanted to receive some inner healing over some issues in our lives. We were trying for children for a number of years and it never happened and all kinds of things happened around that. We, we needed some healing. Do you know, at that time in our lives, I was dedicating babies every single week every single week and I would stand with these children in my arms and watch the tears roll down the face of my wife and question God, why can't we have a child? Why can't we have a child? Okay, and then the Lord blessed us with Emily and she is this lovely ray of sunshine and, uh, and she has such, such a joy about her and she came into our world and the Lord really healed our hearts. But there were times when we needed God to minister to us. We needed the hand of the Father to rest upon our lives. But we were confused and hurting and unsure of how to walk on a day-by-day basis in the reality of the love of God. You see, people would come to the church at that time and say, the Lord has plans to prosper and to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. And we'd sit there and we'd say, yes, but maybe that's for this person. You see, because our internal world was struggling to embrace the truth of God's word. And you have a set of mindsets and they're birthed out of your life experience. And whatever I say to you tonight, unless the Lord comes and does something for you and you come into partnership with that truth, then you will stay captive. You will have the form of godliness, but not the reality of it in your heart. Because godliness is more than external behavior. It's internal realities. And what about this one? Is there anybody who's been hurt here? Give me a wave if you've been hurt. I mean, I mean, you come out of the womb and you get hurt, don't you? <laughs> it seems to me that the world is a rough place. And many of us have found that a difficult experience. Of course. And when you take generational dynamics and you take ungodly mindsets that have grown up in our lives through experiences, and you think a little bit more intelligently about that and you recognize that you have a whole set of hurts and pains and rejections and abandonments and unforgiveness and resentments and oaths and all those kinds of things. You can clearly see now, can't you, that those three dynamics alone, just those three dynamics alone, will cause us to always live a life that's less than Christ wants it to be. And yet Jesus promises that who the Son sets free will be free indeed. And then finally, some of us have been so in this secular version of brokenness and pain and generational dynamics and ungodly beliefs that we have opened ourselves up to some spiritual things. And in our attempts to try and keep ourselves preserved, we may have come into partnership with some things that want to destroy our lives. Let me give you an example of that. When you've been hurt on a number of occasions, you're bound to say something like this, I'm not going to let anyone hurt me like that again. Has anybody ever said that? Come on, be honest, we're, we want to be free tonight. Okay, now what you're doing is you're making a vow. And a vow is saying, I am locking the door on the potential of anyone hurting me again. You don't think the enemy is not going to take advantage of that. So what do you do as a result of that in that locking your heart away from all the abuse or difficulty you're facing is you're locking yourself into a place of isolation and separateness and rejection 
We can even do that to ourselves. You know that, don't you? So as I turn the key to keep others out, I lock the key that keeps me in. And I never really have connections with people. I never really have interactions with people that are flourishing because I have made some commitment and some spiritual forces of darkness have jumped all over that commitment that came out of my hurt and they're trying to keep me trapped in a cycle of self-analysis and brokenness and pain. So we have four key areas. Let me go over them again for you. Key areas that I've discovered as I've tried to help people get free and to live in the fullness of God. Can you remember what they were? Generational things. Do you think there might be some aspect of that tonight that the Lord could set you free from? You are your father's daughter. You are your father's son. And that's a good thing in some ways, but maybe in some ways it might not be. You are the sum total of those who have gone before you. You are the same bloodline and, and therefore you inherit certain things. And, and if you're good looking here tonight, you've inherited all the good stuff. Okay, you've inherited the bone structure and the height and everything else. And if you are like me, you've inherited some bad stuff. You don't just get the good stuff, you also get the bad stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? What about these ungodly mindsets? Sometimes we are captive to the thought processes that we have. Sometimes we can't trust because we think the world is untrusting. Sometimes we don't have the capacity to relate to somebody else because we've locked ourselves into this dungeon, into this prison where we do not allow ourselves to ever be vulnerable. Now you desperately want love, but in fact you can never really truly experience it because you have detached yourself from other people around you. Your mind is playing tricks on you. Not everybody in this world is bad, you know. There are lots of great people in this room. Amen? There are good people. You have yet to meet some great people that will help you and restore you in your life's journey. Your soul and spirit hurts, and of course, those demonic influences that the devil wants to use in our lives. So, let me take you to a scripture, please, if I can. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, we see that God is speaking from his generational perspective. I want us to understand that this is important because God speaks to us generationally. Okay, when God came into my life and started to show me that he had given me some capacity to, in, to engage with supernatural things like prophecy and words of knowledge, actually that came in my family line. All that happened whenever I came to Christ is that Christ redeemed it, he cleansed it, he restored it. And you know, one of the things that I get into trouble with my family all the time over is they're still meddling with some things that they shouldn't be meddling with. You know, I remember a cousin of mine a couple of years ago with cancer and they're going to this, you know, fortune teller and I'm saying, you don't need to go there. God has got a future for you. God's got, I struggle all the time with that, but God redeemed it. Exodus 3.15 says, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. In other words, God looks down our generational line and he speaks into our life. He looks across the generations that have gone before us, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, and he speaks his truth into our present reality. Is anybody happy about that? Exodus 20, verse 12 tells us that how we live in relationship to our parents has ongoing impact in our lives. It says, honor your father and your mother, and look what the benefits of doing this well looks like, that you may live a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. In other words, this relationship has an impact in this reality. This relationship sets me up either to fail or indeed to prosper. 
And when we look at the word honor in scripture, it means to come under someone and to give them some kind of sense of priority or prominence in the way we live our lives. Exodus 20 verses 5b to 6, listen to this, it says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations. Look at the return on love. A thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Is it possible tonight that there might be some generational things that you need to be free from? Is it possible tonight that in spite of all of your effort, you still feel tied to certain thinking patterns and cultures? Well, why don't you shut your eyes for me, please? I'm going to pray with you. We're going to break that off in Jesus' name. Father, you know every heart and every life in this room. You know every family line. You know all the good. You know all the bad. You know all the things that were invitations to those who came before us that they did not pick up. You know all the blessings you wanted to pour out in our family, Father. You see everything. You know everything. And Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, we place the cross of Christ between us and our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors. And we plead the blood of Jesus to sever all agreements they may have entered into, consciously or subconsciously, with anything that was not of God. Father, we renounce any agreement we may have entered into with these realities because the culture we grew up in, Father, made these seem like they were apparent and normal to us. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break the power of all of these agreements in your name. Amen. Now just stay there for a minute. Just wait for a moment. Keep your eyes shut. Father, we forgive our ancestors who have gone before us. In their ignorance, they may have entered into contracts with spiritual forces of darkness that have held and destroyed some of the good things that you wanted to do in our lives. Father, we release them from any account to us because they are accountable to you, in fact. We forgive them, Father, for the effects they've had on our lives. And right now, Lord, we turn away from all of those agreements and we look right into the face of Jesus and we look right to the reality of the cross and we say, Lord Jesus, cancel all agreements. Let your blood sever everything and set us free. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we've started our journey. Now, can I just say about this process that I've noticed that sometimes we're often waiting to feel something because we're highly sensory individuals. We're Pentecostals, we love the presence of God. But actually what we've done is we've broken a legal contract. See, the Bible says where two or more agree on something, it shall be. Okay? And the truth is also true of anything that's negative or not from God. When we agree with something, it has a power over us. Tonight you have just ripped up those agreements. Tonight you have undone some of the things that other people did without realizing fully what it is that they were doing. And tonight, generationally, and indeed more importantly, I believe, um, authority-wise, you have severed something that Jesus has already paid for. You are now going to see a good reward. And your life will play catch-up with the legalities that we're tidying up tonight. Amen? Amen. Second thing, God is a God of truth. So if I believe a lie... Okay, his truth is not able to impact my life the way that he would want it to. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. The, the truth is more than just a set of principles, it's a person. 
But from the moment we enter this world, all kinds of impressions and experiences and information begins to build in us a thought pattern or a process that often is outside of our capacity sometimes to fully change or alter. We consciously or unconsciously form opinions that make conclusions about certain things and these opinions and conclusions are often wrong. And I believe that God wants to renew our minds. Let me read you some scriptures about that freedom. Hebrews 6 verse 18 said, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. In other words, God has the capacity to change the way we think. Amen. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways.